In coming together this morning, we're reading two Romans readings. First one, Romans 12, verses 1 to 8. A living sacrifice. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And reading Romans 3, commencing at verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. This is God's word to us this morning. need to remember to switch this on and switch this off at the right time. You don't want to hear me singing, but hopefully you want to hear me bring God's word this morning. So, so good morning everyone, and uh, it's good to be here again. Can you hear me? I mean, is this working? Yep? Okay, that's great. So, um, before we open God's word, let's, let's just bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to open your word and teach us this morning. Teach us how to be humble as your people. Teach us how we could live as living sacrifices to you. Father, open. as you open your word, we ask that you would speak through me. And Lord, that you would touch hearts. We ask in our risen Saviour's name. Amen. I mean, you probably know that the church's theme this year is that of humility. The pastor spoke about that um, last week. It's, 
it's a call to everyone to be humble. So what does it actually mean? It's a call for everyone to humble themselves before God. And it's also a call for us as Christians to be humble in our dealings with one another and with the outside world. So it's an individual call. But it's also a collective call as a church. So the call to the church is also to be humble. Not to be proud in all its achievements, in its programs, all that's been done before. They're all important, but not to be proud. Not to be proud in our finances. You know, fortunately this church is blessed in that direction. And not to be proud in our talents. And you see that all the time here, don't you? In the, in the music side, all these young people, very talented people. And even the not so young ones, very talented in all what they do. And we as a church need to be humble when it comes to all this. And to learn to serve in humility. Learn to serve God in humility. Learn to serve one another in humility. And obviously the community in humility. So last week John spoke about humility. Because God is God. And we need to know that. We are here serving an absolutely awesome God. Who created everything. Who, who, he, he who holds everything together. Who sustains everything. And you and I are his creation. Therefore be humble. And today I, I've been asked to talk on humility because grace demands. Humility because grace demands it. God's grace, his free gift, demands humility from his followers. There's no better book to look at this than the book of Romans. It, it also happens to be my favorite book. We know that um, the entire scripture is God-breathed or, you know, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we're allowed to have our favorites. And um, Romans is a wonderful book. A wonderful book of doctrine which clearly explains to the believer... The absolute riches that we have in Christ. As Christians. What God has done for us through Christ. And it also tells us in very simple language. What God expects, us, expects from us in return. So what we are going to do today. Is to look at two passages from Romans. Paul clearly describes the hopeless condition of mankind. Clearly describes God's grace that intervenes. And once you experience this God's grace by faith, 
it also clearly explains to be humble in how we deal with God and deal with one another. This is not purely confined to the book of Romans. If you look at the other books that Paul wrote, it sort of follows a similar pattern. If you look at the book of Ephesians or Galatians, and I invite you to read them in your, um, you know, in your time, with uh, your, your reading time, your prayer time. So we find that Paul writes this book to the Romans during his third mission trip. He was probably on the way back to Jerusalem. And if you read chapter 1, he tells the Romans that he would really like to visit them. But we also get to know that he's never been to Rome before. So he basically writes this book in advance of his future ministry in Rome. And we also read in chapter 1 that this church in Rome was doing really well. It was getting spoken of in, in wider circles of its faith and its generosity. So this church was doing well. I mean, this church was very unlikely to be one big church. It was likely that there were many smaller churches in Rome. Many of these people in these churches were returnees from the time of Pentecost. A lot of them were Gentiles, non-Jews. And then there were Jewish Christians. So it was a multicultural church, a multicultural environment. And in the second passage that was read to us this morning, in three or four verses, Paul absolutely nails whatever the Romans needed to know about God's grace and his free gift of salvation. Just in those four verses. That's all the Romans needed to know. That's all we, we as Christians need to know. And in describing this segment in scripture, one of the scholars said, I mean, referring to the whole paragraph, that this was possibly the most important paragraph ever written. Of course, we, we may vary there. I mean, we may have our other chosen paragraphs. But it's a very important part of Scripture in, in Romans. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by His grace through the, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice. There are many simple truths in this passage. You already know that, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves again. First and foremost, this righteousness is from God. This righteousness is from God. This monumental event where sinful man is made right in the sight of a holy God is from God. This is God's gift. Driven by love, to fulfill his purpose, to fulfill his plans, his initiative, his plan, not by human endeavor. 
And this is where we differ significantly from all the other religions. The, all the other religions say, come on, get yourself right by doing this list of things. Do these sacrifices, do these vows, give all this money, give all this food away to the poor, do all this charity, and you might get a little take. But the core message of the gospel is that this righteousness comes from God. In Romans 1 and 17, Paul writes, For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. A righteous status to a sinful man, which is a God-given gift, is being revealed. Very important for us to remind ourselves again of this fact. Secondly, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's offered to all, Jews and Gentiles. And the Bible says there's no difference. It's offered to all. It's offered to all simply because it's needed by all. Why? We have the answer in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, my family and I have been witnessing to certain relatives recently. And it's a very difficult task, witnessing to relatives. And one of the very difficult concepts for some people to understand is to accept the fact that they are sinners and that they are in need of salvation. I've been told many times, you know, I'm not a murderer. You know, I didn't do something absolutely horrible. I didn't rob the bank. Yes, I may have done little bits here and there. A bit of anger, a bit of jealousy. Might have stolen a couple of paper clips from work, but didn't steal the, you know, computer. They too have fallen of the glory of God. God is holy. And however good you may be, it still falls short of the glory of God. Still doesn't make the standard. It's like someone jumping from the 40th floor of a building or the 4th floor of a building without a parachute. The end result is the same, isn't it? You'll make an awful mess on the footpath. Whether you did little bits of sin or lots of sin, in God's eyes, you have fallen short of the glory of God. Thirdly, let's read verse 24. And I justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. You and I have this righteousness by God, by Him justifying us. John Stott, in writing about this passage, talks about three things about this justification. We read in that passage, the source of justification is God and His grace. The passage says, justified freely by His grace. This is God reaching to mankind. Moved and motivated by love. Bestowing this free and undeserved favor. 
So on what ground does a righteous God declare the unrighteous man to be righteous? Did you get that? By what means does a righteous God tell an unrighteous person you're righteous without either compromising his righteousness or condoning man's unrighteousness? Do you get that part? So God's answer is the cross. The grounds of our justification is Christ and His cross. And this is the second thing about God's justification. Without in any way condoning sin, God placates His anger against sin, His wrath against sin, on his very own self in the person of his son. God demands punishment for sin. God solves that problem by turning that anger towards him in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God justifies the sinner because Christ died for that sinner. It was an atoning sacrifice, atoning the anger of God the Father, the shed blood, paying the ransom price for sin. Why did God do this? Again, it's in the scripture to demonstrate his justice, to tell the whole world that he's a holy God, he's a just God who demands retribution for sin. But at the same time, He's a loving God. So the source of our justification, friends, is God and His grace. The ground of our justification is Christ and His cross. And thirdly, the means of our justification is faith. So here we have it very clearly set out. Faith's function is to receive what grace is giving you. Faith's function is to receive what grace offers here. It is by faith the sinner looks to God for salvation. It is by faith your hands reach out and receive this gift of salvation. It is by faith your mouth is open to confess that you are a sinner and receive Christ as your Savior. Therefore, the Bible says in 5 and 1, Romans chapter 5 and 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, you and I have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift. What an amazing grace. God's grace demands the heart of a sinner to humble himself before the cross, and accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to specifically speak to those who may be ignoring this area. May be ignoring this very important aspect of human response to His grace. If you've been pushing away, if you've been delaying the decision to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, make it 
Today is your day to accept the Lord Jesus Christ and say, God, you did all this for me. My reasonable response as a sinner is to come to you and say, the Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. Come into my heart and make me new. Let's read Romans chapter 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Having given your hearts to Christ and accepting this free gift, Paul urges the Christian now, he pleads with the Christian now, in view of God's mercy and grace, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This morning we, we sang, when I survey the cross, the last line says, it demands my life, my soul, my all. This is what Paul is talking about here. A reasonable and, ex- and a, an expected response to God's grace is that every single Christian here would offer their bodies as living sacrifices to God. What does it actually mean offering your body a living sacrifice? Paul is not just talking about our hearts here. Friends, Paul is talking about everything. Your life, your mind, everything, your all. We bring all this to his feet and in humility and in act of worship we say, God, this is yours. Take and use it for your glory. In response to all what the Lord Jesus Christ has done, this is our spiritual act of worship. Such a life does not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but is continuously transformed by the renewing of their mind. What does it mean? This is an active process. This is an ongoing process. We are increasingly, one is living a life that is in accordance with God's will. This is a person deliberately telling themselves, no, I'm not going to follow the patterns of the world. Increasingly, I'm going to align myself to God's will. Not letting the world squeeze us into its mold. It's happening all the time. How we think, what we do, what we say. It's so much molded by the world squeezing us into its pattern. All the pressures, what will he think, what will she think? Will I get my next promotion if I stand up for this part? The whole thing is squeezing up, squeezing us, molding us into the pattern of the world. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is telling us this morning, now, leave that behind and follow my will. Where we move very clearly from the value system of this world onto the value system of God's will. Where this world's influence increasingly becomes smaller and less important in our lives. When we are hurt, when someone has done something wrong, the value system of the world will tell us, revenge, revenge, retribution, let's get him. God's will will say, forgive and restore. Forgive and restore. This will also percolate into our careers, into our ambitions. It will all look a little different into how we deal with money, how we deal with daily things, do church, how we think, what we say. When it also comes to matters of sex, value system of the world driving us to something. But what's God's will? It's all here in the book of life. Increasingly, we, like Paul, would learn to say, It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And finally, friends, Paul says in this passage, Do not think of, of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Basically it says, don't think too much of yourself. It's easy to understand, isn't it? It's hard sometimes. Because we all think something of ourselves. Not too bad. But Paul is saying, be humble. Be humble and serve. He talks about a body. As we read on in chapter 12, which was read to us. We who are many form one body. There is strength in that diversity. There's functionality in that diversity. You need a hand, you need a foot, you need a brain, you need a heart. They all come together to make this functional unit. The plurality of its members is its strength. Diversity of gifts. Paul talks about that. Some gifts are seen. So these are people who may be preaching or leading or whatever. And there are so many other gifts that God has given us that goes under the radar a little bit. But it's all important. It's all important to make this unit functional and working well. So Paul is saying in humility, bring all these gifts. Serve God. Serve one another. Serve the world around you. They all contribute to the function of this body. So friends, it's important for us to understand this morning that we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be humble. God's grace demands our humble service. God's grace 
demands our heart in the first instance. God's grace demands our entire being, whoever we are. And finally, God's grace demands our humble service. So humility, because God's grace demands it. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father, help us to be a humble people. Humble as individuals, humble as a church before you. Recognizing the immense riches that we have in Christ. Who we are and how we have been blessed. Looking at the cross and that immense sacrifice on the cross. Father, we ask that you would speak to those people who are still sitting on the fence to turn their lives over to you. And to all of us here, that, you, that we would continue to commit to live as living sacrifices, bringing all to you daily, moving away from the patterns of this world and living increasingly to please you in your will. We ask this in the risen Saviour's name. Amen.